Over the past couple of years, a fair few political parties have found themselves in hot water over donations. The Māori Party president is blaming volunteers misinterpreting the rules for its failure to declare more than $300,000 in donations. The Serious Fraud Office has filed criminal charges against six people in regards to a donation made to the Labour Party. And as we've been reporting, the Serious Fraud Office has also laid charges relating to two donations made to the National Party, one in 2017 and one in 2018, both of $100,000. The pair charged in the New Zealand First Foundation case have pleaded not guilty and elected trial by jury. The Serious Fraud Office charged two people with obtaining by deception last month after its investigation into the foundation and its handling of donations to the political party. Two-thirds of the parties in Parliament since 2017 are facing charges from the SFO and as the detail highlighted in a podcast in February last year, the SFO doesn't lose too many cases. Now, these are all situations where the parties have allegedly run foul of the rules, whether it's not declaring donations, filing them too late, illegally concealing the donor's identity, and so on. But a recent series for Newsroom by journalist Pete McKenzie has shed some light on a different aspect of political donations playing around the margins, not outright breaking the law, but certainly acting outside the spirit of the law. The investigation looks at techniques used by parties to maintain anonymity for people who donate large sums of money, even when doing so clearly circumvents the intent of rules around transparency. With electoral donations, there is no perfect system. If somebody wants to rig the system or somebody is corrupt, they will find a way to work around the system. I'm Emile Donovan, and today on The Detail, Pete McKenzie on how this legal laundering works, what effects this could have on our democracy, and whether there's appetite for large-scale change. Pete McKenzie, welcome to The Detail. Great to have you here. Thanks for having me on. I'm so excited. Let's talk, first of all, about like donations and what they're actually kind of used for. What do candidates use donations for? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really good question. It's one that I wasn't super sure of myself when I I came into this investigation. And I I figured out that there's kind of four different layers to it, right? The first is what we imagine. It's the buying ads on social media. It's buying ads in the newspaper. It's putting up billboards. Apparently, timber for billboards is super expensive, and so that takes up a, a lot of money. But there's also secondary kind of uses for it, right? It takes money to get money. And so a lot of money is put back into social media to build email lists, to get people on your profile so that you can fundraise from them in the future. And then also having a big war chest, even if you don't spend the money that you raise, having a big war chest is super useful because you can deter challenges. You know, if you're a potential candidate going into an electorate contest against someone with $50,000 in the bank, you're going to think twice. Mm -hmm. And then I thought the most interesting thing, and this is something which I wasn't able to get into in my investigation, is that it's not just about the elections. You can use the money in between campaigns. And so the the examples that came to mind were Shane Reddy is the current deputy leader of the National Party. He became the deputy leader in 2020, in large part because he was seen as this really reliable party loyalist who was dependable. And part of that reputation came from the fact that in 2019, he donated $25,000 out of his own pocket to the party. So he was building influence through spending money. 
And Judith Collins, the current leader of the National Party, has done exactly the same thing. At the last election, she donated $7,500 to new uh, returning National MP Hariti Hipango. She donated $5,000 to MP Maureen Pugh. She donated $5,000 to former MP Agnes Lohini. Quick clarification here, which Pete pointed out to me after our conversation. These donations didn't come from Judith Collins, the individual. They came from the National Party's Papakura branch, the branch Collins represents. Pete is inferring that Judith Collins either directed those donations or at the very least knew about them. But because they technically came from a branch of the party, we can't unequivocally say they came from Collins herself which illustrates exactly the issue we're talking about today, because it's sort of what this investigation is all about. If you're standing for Parliament, are there limitations on how much people can speak? So could it, could it be like Donald Trump in the US, where a really, really rich person just decides to run for Parliament and they're like, look, I've got 50 million bucks in the bank, I could spend a million bucks on my campaign if I wanted to. Is that how it kind of works? No. So there's limits on the amount that parties and candidates can spend in what's called the regulated period. And the regulated period is roughly the, the three months in advance of the end of voting. So you can spend as much as you want, as far as I can tell, in the months and years before that regulated period. But during that regulated period, you can only spend, I think it's about 28000 as an individual candidate on your electorate race. And I think if you're a major party contesting every single electorate, you can only spend about $3 million in that regulated period. If we compare it to the United States, not a lot of money at all. They're spending billions. It's just not even a contest. 2020, the most expensive in history. Spending projected to reach, get this, nearly $11 billion. But if we're talking about New Zealand, I think that's quite a lot of money, right? You know, $28,000 $28,000 is is a huge amount of money to spend on an advertising campaign in a relatively discreet geographical area. Mm. $3 million is a, a huge amount of money, particularly on the flip side, moving away from spending and moving towards donations. The amounts of money that's, that are being donated, you know, $15,000, $30,000, or even down to the smaller sums, like $1,000, are, are still big sums in the New Zealand context. We're not as wealthy. We're not as well off. We have less to give. Let's talk a bit about this um, donations issue, which is the focus of your series for Newsroom. Maybe, first of all, let's talk about the rules for donations. There are different sets of rules for parties and candidates, right? Yeah, you're 100% right. And I think the simplest way to explain it is just by focusing on normal donations from New Zealand individuals or businesses. There's, There's slightly different rules for anonymous donations routed through the Electoral Commission and slightly different rules for overseas donations, but very few people use those. Sure. So in most situations, if you are donating under $1,500 to an individual candidate, your name is hidden. You don't get disclosed. If you donate over that, your name will be disclosed on that individual's election return. And it's the same but larger at a party level. If you're donating under $15,000 to a, a major party a registered political party, your name won't be disclosed. But if you donate over $15,000, it will be. And that's how the system it tries to ensure some level of transparency. Why are there these thresholds for anonymity? Like, why, if you donate $1,501 to a candidate or $15,001 to a party, do they then have to publish your name? What's the reasoning behind that? Really good question. It's one that I was trying to figure out. And as Best as, as I can tell, it's relatively arbitrary. Mm. You know, these were 
thresholds that the politicians themselves came up with, right? They were the ones who were writing the rules. And, and no one has been able to give me a good reason why we use $15,000 instead of $10,000 or $5,000 or $1,500 at that party level. Why would somebody want to remain anonymous? There's some entirely understandable things. A lot of people don't want to have their name in the public eye. They don't want to have their privacy intruded, but they still want to participate in politics, and they think that a donation might be the best way of doing that. On the flip side, there's more worrying reasons. You know, someone who is affiliated with a lobbying firm or a particular business or has certain interests that might be decided on in the political sphere might want to gain influence, might want to build a relationship, but they don't want people to know about that. Mm -hmm. And so they might donate under the threshold to avoid their name and their activities being publicised. Hey, here's a question. Can a party donate to a candidate? And that's a really good question. So in the investigation that I did, a lot of the candidates from major parties didn't disclose any donations except huge ones from their central or their local parties. And so what's happening there, potentially, is that the central parties are routing donations through local electorate committees or local party committees and their bank accounts into the coffers of individual candidates. To demonstrate how this might be working, and we have to use might here because we don't really know for sure, let's use, as Pete does, the example of Botany MP Christopher Luxon. Luxon's electoral return shows his campaign spent a touch under $19,000 in the course of getting elected. However, he raised more than $73,000 in large donations of more than $1,500. Luxon received 11 donations of more than $1,500, which are all listed in his electoral return. The thing is, the donor for every single one of those donations was the New Zealand National Party Botany Electorate. Christopher Luxon's benefactor, on paper at least, was his own electorate branch. It's, as far as I can tell, entirely lawful. I spoke to Andrew Geddes, who's a really prominent campaign finance academic down at Otago, and he described it as arbitraging the donation thresholds. And so the way it might work is something along these lines. You're a donor, and you want to donate quite a large sum of money, maybe you know $10,000, to your favourite candidate. You don't want it to go through the party. But you also don't want that money to be disclosed as a donation. And so what your favourite candidate does is implicitly, no one's you know explicitly saying anything, but implicitly encourages you to donate to the party with the understanding, implicit, that that money will then be routed back to you, the candidate. And so at no point are the donation thresholds rules being violated, but that $10,000 still doesn't get declared because it's under the $15,000 threshold for a party and it's only implicitly being routed to the candidate. Okay, and so everybody's sort of winking at and nudging each other, but there's no explicit, no one's coming out and saying, right, I'm going to give you this ten grand on the condition that it goes to candidate Y kind of thing. Exactly. And that's the really important thing, right? Like, looking from the outside, we have no idea what's going on underneath those disclosure thresholds. We really struggle to get an understanding. So, so I mean, there are... Yeah. The, the, this, this is the nature of it. So, look, any party... I, think, I guess what I'd say is any party that fundraises, when they take a donation, they know that they may be judged by the public... For taking that donation. Yeah, but when you specifically articulate... But the people in the system, the politicians, the donors, 
they all know each other. They're all talking. They're all figuring these things out, however implicitly. And so everyone knows what's broadly going on. I, I spoke to Daniel McLaughlin, who's a, a spin-off writer and a commentator on these kinds of things, and he described it as this kind of informal gift economy. You don't want to rock the boat because you don't want to stop the gravy train, and you know the implications of everyone's actions. It's just no one saying them out loud. Again, we should emphasise here, this is not illegal. It's completely within the bounds of the law. No question about it. And it's not the only technique political parties can use to keep the names of large donors secret. A glance at contributors to the Labour Party's 2020 campaign shows a number of prominent New Zealand artists contributed $184,000 to the party. So what they do is that they get artworks donated from some of the country's most prominent painters and artists. And then they auction those artworks off to prospective donors. And the way that the rules have been interpreted is that it's the artwork which is the thing of value being donated. And so they list the donations under the artist's name. So you'll see, you know, Dick Frizzell or Carl Morn on the Labour Party's donation return. But they're not the ones providing the money, which is what the parties really want. And the donors who are providing the money don't have their names disclosed at all, at all. Yeah, and I guess the idea as well being that art is inherently difficult to sort of value, right? And so no one's necessarily going to question a large amount of money being spent on... Like, Dick Frizzell could draw, like, a stick figure, um, and someone might pay 10 grand for it, and, you know, you, it's like, okay, righto, I wouldn't do that, but, but fair enough. Totally, right? Like, I'm not going to question... If I was going to a normal art auction, I wouldn't question someone paying $30,000 to Dick Frizzell for a stick figure... <laughs> But also that's, you know, art isn't, the value is in the eye of the beholder. Mm. How can I question the amount of money that someone is willing to pay? Another aspect that your series for Newsroom focuses on is sort of the level of due diligence that parties are doing in terms of vetting donors. You know, the source of the money that's flowing into these parties and whether that source sort of stacks up with the values that the parties and candidates, a spouse. There is a very good example here involving the Green Party. Can you explain what the situation was there? So in 2019 and 2020, the Green Party accepted two separate donations, each worth about twenty dollars $25,000, from uh, a woman in Masterton who it later emerged was engaged in unbelievable levels of animal neglect and abuse. The, the SBCA described it as amongst the worst that they'd ever seen. Three horses later had to be put down as a result of the neglect. And, 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 you know, the descriptions in the photos are, are truly horrific. The line the Green Party had was that the donor made the donations and then a few weeks later was sentenced to criminal animal neglect and abuse. Mm. And they say they can't be responsible for knowing about that. Mm. The problem with that line is that people in the community, in that Marston community, knew about the animal neglect. So did the SPCA. The investigations into that person had been running for you know two years prior to that. And so the question is how much due diligence is the Green Party or, or whatever party or candidate which is accepting these donations, how much due diligence are they doing into the donations they receive? Mm. Yeah, and this is, so I mean, this is an issue really of hypocrisy in a sense, isn't it? It's like the Green Party, they didn't do their due diligence on it and so they have accepted a lot of money from somebody whose values don't stack up with their own. Yeah, precisely. And I think it also gets more intense than that, right? So on the on the one hand we have hypocrisy, and that's obviously just hard to stomach politically. But two, you know, maybe it legitimizes these fringe figures or these these people who have engaged in criminal behavior, and that's really worrying. 
And then three, and most interestingly for me, I think at a systemic level, is that it, it shows how keen these parties and these candidates are for money, that they're not doing due diligence, that they're being, you know, one could even say careless about who they accept money from. Their appetite for it is so large. In fact, according to Pete's piece, the Green Party didn't even know the donor, Lindsay Fraser, had been convicted of animal abuse until Pete called them to ask for comment. That's despite the NZ Herald and stuff both carrying stories of the conviction in September last year, a month out from the election. And, you know, the Green Party, as far as I can tell, and they disagree with this, but as far as I can tell, could donate an equivalent sum of money to the SBCA as kind of a recompense for accepting this donation from a problematic figure. But they refuse to do that. And that, I think, shows how important and how determined parties and politicians are to get money under the status quo. That uh, was an interesting situation. Um, there is, however, maybe a slightly more severe and possibly consequential situation uh, around the Labour MPs. Stuart Nash, you know, he's now forestry minister. He has donations from forestry companies and whether or not that was, you know, conflicting and whether or not he should give them back. What's the story there? So Stuart Nash, in the lead-up to the election last year, accepted at least $25,500 from individuals and businesses that stand to benefit from decisions he may make in his new role as Minister of Forestry and Minister of Regional Development. So that's from timber companies, it's from uh, a small regional airline, businesses which have an interest in the kinds of decisions and the kind of advocacy that he takes on. And no one's saying that he has made decisions to favour them, but it does create this apparent conflict of interest. Isn't that always going to be the way, though? Like if, I mean, if you're motivated to donate a five-figure sum to a political party, then, you know, <laughs> like, there's every likelihood that you're going to be involved in some way in, in the decisions that they could make. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. I think that's why it's so worrying. You know, the people who have the money to spend large sums in our political system, other people who have interests that will be affected by the decisions made in that political system. And that's why this area is so interesting and why it's so potentially worrying. Is there the potential for corruption within the framework that we kind of have around political donations, do you think? <laughs> yeah, so I've got to be, I've got to be careful here because sure. there's um, cases before the courts and yeah. I'd don't want to be sued for defamation. But, um, <laughs> Fair enough. There, some of the people that I spoke to voiced a concern that in some instances uh, in recent years there could have been the potential for an implicit or an explicit quid pro quo. Uh, and I don't think that's the majority of cases. I think in almost every case the worrying instances are you know, an implicit agreement or an implicit narrowing of the options that politicians feel are open to them. But certainly, you know, we don't know what we don't know. And the way the system works is that it hides transparency and it stops transparency and scrutiny and any sort of behaviour could flourish in that kind of environment. And I guess even from a fairness point of view, the idea that you might be able to donate 10 grand to a political party or a political candidate and all of a sudden you're known within that party, you're known by that candidate, maybe if you text them, they're going to text you back. The idea that that kind of relationship can be cultivated by donating a large sum of money is um, somewhat somewhat discomforting. Yeah, 100%. And, and, I mean, if we go back to that Stuart Nash example, you know, he went on, I think it was Mike's Minute on News Talk ZB after that story came out, and he was asked, you know, what, 
why do you think these guys donated to you? And he said, Well, I say that if you have a look at my return, the vast majority of people who donate to me are actually mates of Nonsense University. You know, I've been working in forestry for, for many years before I was the Minister of Forestry. Uh, I've got a whole lot of mates right up and down this country. Um, some of them are Labour, some aren't, but they're all, they all support a mate. And so this is how New Zealand works, mates supporting mates. Mike, I, I hold myself up as a, as a person of great integrity. Um, I'm very open and transparent. Uh, I put down all my donations. And, uh, you know, anyone who believes that I'll make decisions because mates gave me money and I'll do things to favour them doesn't know me. I don't operate in that way in any way, shape or form. And that's the thing, right? You know, they're building relationships. They're building friendships with this money. And you don't think about the money when you think back on the years of friendship that you've had, but it was a key driver. And who knows what you might do as a result. It's really important to emphasise that every single thing that I wrote about, as far as I can tell, was not illegal. But the irony of that is that it's the politicians who are writing the rules. So of course it's not illegal, because they were the ones who created the framework which they're operating within. They know the rules better than anyone else. And importantly, they've built the system so that it's very hard for your behaviour to be illegal, while still allowing you to absolutely minimise transparency absolutely minimise scrutiny for the public to find it very hard to figure out who it is that's donating these large sums of money. Pete, why do we even have a system with political donations? I'm sure that a system could be set up where candidates get a certain amount of of money to spend on their campaigns and that comes from the Electoral Commission and the same thing happens with with parties. I mean, is is it too Pollyanna-ish to think that, that this muddiness, this murkiness could be easily avoided? I don't think it's Pollyanna-ish at all. And I think it's worth noting that we already engage in state funding of parties and politicians. We call it parliamentary funding. Mm. It's the salaries that we pay to MPs. It's the salaries we pay to their staff. It's the resources we give them to support their local electorates. That's all political funding. We just call it by a different name. In fact, it's millions and millions and millions of dollars of political funding. The kind of however many million that parties spend around election time is, by comparison, just a drop in the hat. So I think it's entirely plausible that we could make up that shortfall and provide state funding for election campaigns to get rid of a lot of that muddiness. That's it for today. I'm Emil Donovan. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Blair Stagpole and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Pete McKenzie. See you tomorrow.